always identified the Scottish Cup as being an opportunity for us to to, to go places. And I think that attitude's always been, let's really put out good teams on Sundays. And now we're leading up to this cup final. There's a lot of competition for places and everybody's sort of feeling pretty buoyant and, and fairly supportive of each other in terms of whatever 11 we, we put out next Sunday, I would say. Welcome to another Cricket Scotland podcast. I'm Jake Perry. And I'm Rosie Ryan. It's a special episode this week as we look ahead to one of our biggest occasions in the cricket calendar this weekend. Watsonians meeting with Heriots in the final of the Scottish Cup at Ayr. We'll be hearing from Watsonians Pete Maximchuk and Heriots Hayes Vanderberg ahead of the big game. And Gary Heatley's thoughts about the game too. We'll have our usual league wrap-up from East and West in a little while too and take a look at the final round of the Women's Super Series at Titwood. We'll hear from Riyad Henry, Katie McGill, Megan McCall, Catherine Fraser and Scotland women's head coach Mark Coles after what was another great weekend of action. Also seeing action was Scotland's Brad Wheel, who having sat out in London Spirit's first five games in the 100, made quite an impact on his debut against the Manchester Originals. After taking a wicket with his first delivery, he ended up with the 20 ball figures of 4 for 17 as the Spirit took their first win of the competition. He made his mark against the Ovals Invincibles too, with 2 for 23, and although the Spirit wasn't able to take the second win, Brad's form particularly after being given the responsibility of bowling at the death, is really exciting for Scottish fans with the T20 World Cup on the near horizon. Back up north, there was more silverware decided last weekend. Our congratulations to Carlton, who beat Gordonians in the final of the Under-16 Scottish Cup at Ducat Park. Well done as well to semi-finalists Livingston and Clydesdale. It's great to hear of such young talent from right across the country. The delayed finals... Of the Challenge Cup was played too. Welcome again, Gary Heatley. This is a competition you followed closely from the start and there was just as close an ending to it as well. Yes, there certainly was a tight ending on Sunday and that was fitting for a 40 over side tournament that's had thrills and spills the whole way through this summer. Hillhead from the WDCU second division had reached the final by winning at Strathmore in the semi-finals by six wickets, getting over the line with just five balls left. And Esca Championship side Morton had made it through to the final after a nail-biting semi-final of their own. Chasing 200 to beat Lomithgow, in reply, Morton had fallen to 140 before Vinod Kumar Roy and skipper Senthal Nathan put on 53 runs for the ninth wicket. Nathan fell for 13 at that stage, but Roy and Dalan Thangamble had held their nerve as Morton reached 200 for nine to win with two balls to spare. The final at Drumpella on Sunday saw Morton, aside from Edinburgh, bat first against their opponents from Glasgow and they posted a decent look at 183 for four from their 40 overs. Hillhead were going well in their reply, sitting on 94 for two from 20 overs. And with 10 overs to go, they still looked in the box seat, needing a further 53 runs with six wickets remaining. As things ticked along, they then needed 17 runs off 18 balls and then seven runs off the last over. But Morton's bowlers and fielders held their nerve to restrict Hillhead to 181 for six and the Edinburgh side won by just two runs, cracking in to what's been a great tournament. 
Yeah, congratulations to Central Nathan and all at Morton. Commiserations to Ali Fergus at Hillhead and many thanks to Drumpelia for hosting. And so on to this Sunday and the final of the Scottish Cup in air. It's an all Edinburgh affair this year and to get each club's perspective of the game, I caught up with Watsonians Pete Matsimchuk and Hayes van der Berg of Heriots. I began by asking about the atmosphere around the club with the big day growing closer. Yeah, the um, the mood is well good. Uh, we've we've won a lot of games of, of cricket recently. Um, you know, everyone's you know really looking forward. Um, you know, to the final. We've we've had a good. Um, I think we've had eleven games. We've lost the very first game of the season in the league, and we ha- we haven't lost any other league games. Um, and obviously, the cup run. You know, we, we haven't lost. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in the final. Um, with just a handful of, of T20, so that you know, in form-wise, I think the the players are, I think as as ready as you know they could ever be. Um, and yeah, I think everyone's looking forward to a, a bus trip down to to air, and hopefully, we it'll be a better bus trip going back. <laughs> I mean, Jake, the the mood around the club is is very positive. I mean, I think over the last three years. I think the club has changed beyond all recognition in terms of personnel, in terms of attitude, in terms of, I guess, targeting certain um, aspects that we can compete in and, and win trophies in. So, you know, I think we always identified the Scottish Cup as being an opportunity for us to, to, to go places. And I think, you know, the club's that attitude's always been, let's really put out good teams on Sundays. And now we're leading up to this cup final. There's a lot of competition for places and everybody's sort of feeling pretty buoyant and, and fairly supportive of each other in terms of whatever 11 we, we put out next Sunday, I would say. So let's have a look at that that road to the final then. Um, so, Pete, next Sunday will actually be the first time uh, the Watsonians have faced a team from the East in the competition. Uh, you've drawn exclusively teams from the West so far, including two that have, have been really flying in the, the Western Premier Division in Uddingston and Clydesdale. So which performances along the way would you pick out as being the particularly good ones or important ones? I don't want to sound uh, like I'm sitting on the fence, but I think obviously all of them have been uh, have been pretty special in their own different way. I mean, actually, I, I think back to the first game against Kelburn, who... Um, Obviously, a you know tricky team to play against. I myself was 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 unavailable, and a number of our key players were unavailable. And we actually had a number of our our second team players step up and put in a really good chase against um, a pretty good side. That I think we chased two twenty big crowd. I think it really set us up really nicely. I think then I suppose more recently we went to we, we saw we had Uddingston at our place and. Um, they had a fantastic bowling attack, but that particular day we were just absolutely on fire, scoring over 300, and and um, and, and really sort of dominated the game from there. Drumpelle was tricky in its own different way. We went there, um, we looked, you know, we went there first, looked like it was going to be a, a decent win for us, and then it rained in the 17th over. I think we had them 47 for seven, chasing 211, and then when we took them back to our place the following week. It did exactly the same thing. We were on to chase, I think, their 160. And we were, I think, 80 without loss, 17th over. It rained again. Fortunately, that second time we got back on. And then, obviously, semi-final, which, again, I myself was was, was injured for, but we had a fantastic um, uh, performance there against Clydesdale, obviously uh, the, the top team in the, in the West. And, you know, Ollie on, on that particular day um, 
was, was was dominant. But what was really special about that was that the bottom end really sort of clicked into gear um, and put, put a big total on the board. And then obviously Josh Stinson, um, the wizard, getting six wickets. That was fantastic. And Hayes, if we look at, at Harriet's run, um, some tough opposition in there. Fergus Lee, Carlton, West of Scotland, and then Grange. I mean, what are your, your memories of, of those games? So I actually, uh, unfortunately, missed out on two of those. It was actually the first and the last one. So I know with um, Fergus Lee, we had, um, to be fair, that was actually uh, a bit of, a, not a historical game, but a, a performance in itself. We I think we had around nine unavailable players for that game. Um, and I mean, Fergus, you are, you know, a top side in the West. So we knew that would be a, a tough hurdle to get across if we, if we were going to continue. And we managed to do it um, in a, you know, a relatively tight game. So we, you know, we're thrilled with that. And it just shows the depth in our squad. Um, you know, we're not just relying on, on one or two players. So that was a, a really memorable game for the club in general um, from that sense. Um, and then we had who was it, Carlton, who, um, again, you know, top sides. Um, what are they, second on the log in, in, in terms of our league? Uh, you know, really good side, really good players, um, tough to beat, particularly in cup competitions. And um, yeah, I, th I think we, we had a really good bowling performance. Our bowler set us up well, from what I remember. Um, and um, I think it was Pete Ross, was one of the outstanding performers with the bat who just. I can't remember his exact score, but he he blew he blew the Colton attack away and just um, yeah pretty much got us over the line quite easily. In the end, um, obviously it wasn't easy during the game itself, but in the end it it, it seemed like it was an easy game for us. Um, and then who did we have? Was it Grange next? So it was West of Scotland. Remember the, the uh, game West that just yes. beat the Storm. Yes, yes. No, that that was actually an unbelievable game to be honest. And I know the scoreline. Um, wouldn't say that, but uh, we we did we did well to get 200 plus runs, I think it was. Um, and to be honest, it was all about trying to beat the rain at at one point, just because, or get to 20 overs at least, you know, with the, with the favourable Duckworth Lewis score. Um, and we managed by, you know, by the skin of our teeth, there was I think three balls remaining until the 20th over, and the rain started coming in. We actually weren't sure if we would carry on playing just for that last over. And um, we, we managed to get the last wicket, you know, in 19.3 or whatever, you know, whatever, how many overs it was. So that was, a, you know, one of the more memorable games for me playing for Herod in general. Um, I can't say I did anything in that game, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's be right up there as, as one of my most favorable games. Um, yeah. And then we had, had Grange, which I unfortunately wasn't available for. Um, and... Uh, yeah, that was a a low scoring thriller to to say the least. I think it was ninety or was it eighty odd? I think, um, and we again, you know, won it with one wicket to spare. In fact, you know, I think we still needed ten runs. I think it was with with one wicket to go. Um, so you could actually ar probably argue that you know at that point, Grange probably looked like favourites. Um, and I mean, Grange are you know obviously a, a top side and and always have been. So it was great to to you know to beat them in such a tight game and just shows that you know we, we've had a lot of comfortable wins over the season um you know particularly in the league um but it was good to get put under you know supreme pressure um 
in the cup game, you know, which which should do us well, you know, hopefully hopefully it doesn't get to that point. But if it does, you know, it, it means that we can handle the pressure well in a, in a knockout game. You know each other so well, capital rivals, of course. And so to flip the usual question I might ask on its head a little bit, how would you summarise the opposing team, the their, their style, the, the, the key players that you're looking out for and so on? I mean, what I would say, Jake, straight away is that... Um, I've played cricket in Scotland for 16 years and I've, I, I, I've not seen a stronger club side on paper than Heriots. Um, they've obviously got some outstanding players, whether it be Scotland internationals, aspiring um, professional cricketers or, 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 or really good, you know, um, overseas players like obviously joined like Hayes and, and, uh, and the likes. So, you know, obviously Matt Cross, he's already scored a thousand runs this season. He's, you know, well known, um, and and I think the great thing about somebody like Matt is that he's able to bat at all levels. Whether he's playing, I bet if he was playing a Sunday game, he'd still bat in the same way as if he was playing England. Um, and you've got like some Mark Watt, who's obviously a tremendous spin bowler and a great leader. Um, and then uh, obviously a seam bowling attack, the likes of Adrian Neil, Gavin Main, um, fantastic seamers, but also Elliot Ruthven, who's more than capable of getting um, key wickets. And then they've got additional spinners like Michael Sheens and uh, and Ryan Brown. So I mean, you could list the whole eleven there. Um, so obviously they're, they're they're a very strong side and uh, uh, a side that's you know complete in many respects. But I, what I would say is, you know, when you've got a side with a number of strong players, there sometimes is a possibility that they might rely on one or two delivering, and and that can that can sort of maybe add add in. Uh, or benefit us if there's uh, if, if if there's just that opportunity, and also when they've had dominant batsmen, one or two of their batsmen maybe haven't had as many opportunities earlier in the part of the season. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, they're a very good side, um, and we'll just obviously have to come about it in a different way to see if we can uh, get the job done. Yeah, Watson's. To be honest, I I really enjoy playing Watson's. I I feel that um, no matter who they put out in the park whether they've got, you know, superstar names or not. Um, I always I always remember it being quite a tight game with them. You know, matter, you know, what they put out, what we put out, it was just always a tight game, home or away. Um, they they seem to, you know, get up for, you know, big games and, um, you know, put in a good performance. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Sunday, they've, I mean, they've, they've got a few really dangerous players. Um, but even without them, just as a team, you know, they're a solid club, a solid team, um, a good leader and, and Pete Zemchemczyk, you know, who will no doubt, you know, get their players. Um, well, not that they need any riled up, but he'll he'll certainly push them over the edge and, you know, get them really riled up for the final. Um, yeah, so we, we're not expecting any easy game, but, you know, or easy game by any means. They're um, definitely going to be a tough opponent. <laughs> And so on to the final game itself at Air Historical Ground, two historical clubs. So what are you expecting next Sunday? Um, well, I, I haven't played much at Air, to be honest, but from what I hear, I'm expecting a, a decent wicket, um, you know, which is great for, for a cup final. Um, we, you know, we, we played in the 2019 cup final um, and there's, there's a lot of rain in the week before, and it, it was again quite a low-scoring game. I think it was 140, and we got it. We we chased down the score in the 40th over, or something like that. Um, 
And uh, yes, it, it'll be it'll be great. It'll be a nice high-scoring final, you know, for both teams. You know, make it make it interesting. Um, and I think the outfield is quite nice as well. And, I, and, and if I remember correctly, the the, um, the it's got a really nice clubhouse, a nice you know almost viewing platform, and and things like that. So you know, hopefully, get a little bit of a crowd um, or as much as possible. Um, and yeah, I, I expect it'll be you know great ground, great pitch, hopefully. Um, and just a great day of, of cricket for to you know to hope you know or to be representing to two of the best sides in, in cricket Scotland for for the cup. I haven't played at air for fifteen years, um, but what I would say is I remember um, a lot of people are telling me it takes a bit of spin. It's obviously a fantastic cricket ground, and what I would say is it's a one-off game of cricket and. I'm not expecting us to think of think of it in anything other than a, a great opportunity for Watsonians. Obviously, two big clubs, Watsonians, Herricks, great rivals. There's no doubt we are the underdogs, though. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I see us as a team that are scrappy, that are united, that are determined to find a way to get the job done. We've got match winners in our team. And whether it be a turning pitch or a seeming deck or one that's flat, We've got players, I think, that can step up when it when it matters, and that's that's how we're going to go about trying to um, win the game at air on Sunday. Pete Matsimchik at the end there, along with Hayes van der Berg. My thanks to both. So, Gary, the big question is, who's your money on for the win? Yeah, so a really good way to put me right on the spot there, Jake. Thanks for that. <laughs> uh, yeah, just looking at the two teams. I mean, in the past, Terriers have won the cup four times. Well, what's funny is have never actually won it. In their, in their long history so um, they'll obviously be looking to get that for the first time and both clubs have played each other now for 125 years in fact this season they've introduced the 1896 Cup for fixtures between the sides so there's been a lot of history between the two over the years looking ahead to Sunday I think it's going to be a cracking final and I'm really looking forward to it um, having won the trophy in 2019 Herits have more players in their squad who have perhaps been there and done it before while new additions like Matthew Cross, Gavin Main, Lloyd Brown and the returning Adrian Neal have done really well for them this season. They're still on for a league and cup double, but Pete McSimchik and director of cricket Andrew Chalmers have got a good thing going at my side, having rebuilt things at what's really during the pandemic. Ollie Hares is key to their batting, along with Mike Carson. While it'll be interesting to see which bowling attack they come for, as they have quite a few options in that area. The two sides also meet in the Easter Premier Division on Saturday at Goldmaker, so two clubs that already know each other really well will be even better acquainted come Sunday night. So, in a long answer to your question, I'll be sitting on the fence like any good pundit, especially as I know a lot of the, a lot of guys from both of the teams. Yeah, I could I could uh, almost see the splinters there uh, from sitting on the fence, and I will do the same. Actually, I mean, it it is difficult to see past Herriots with the talent and firepower they have, but. Pete's point that he made was a was a really good one. There is something about being underdogs, you know, Watsonians going in without the weight of expectation on their shoulders and and having those X Factor players who can very quickly turn the form book on, on its head. But either way, it's going to be fascinating and we will certainly be chatting about it next week. Well, you two, it will all be decided on Sunday. And if you're not able to get to air, then the match will be live streamed via the Cricket Scotland Live, as always. It should be a tremendous game. Certainly will. And so, on to last weekend's action. And Rosie, let's start at Titwood, where the Ross and Sutton 11s went into the final round of the Women's Super Series, locked at four games each. 
Yes, at Titwood, it was a, a, a lovely green pitch and a, and a pretty wet outfield um, and quite overcast at the beginning. But the sun, on Sunday, the Ross 11 won the toss and decided to have a bowl, leaving the Sutton 11 batting. It was an eventful first over with Lorna Jack off the mark with a four and then LBW to Hannah Rainey the next ball, leaving the score eight for one. Ellen Watson looked good straight away with a fantastic two fours, a drive and a pull off the third over. The Ross 11 then decided it was time to get Catherine Fraser on, who came on for the fifth and then bowled her attempter with a bit more air for Ellen than to hit it over the top for another boundary, leaving the score 35 to 1. The second wicket then came off the last ball in the 10th, with Caris Scott top edging the ball to the safe hands of Megan McCall off the bowling of Becky Glenn. But then Ellen carried on, the ball making a great sound off the bat and celebrating her 50 in the 12th. A fantastic knock from Ellen and great to see her form. Unfortunately, she was then out the next ball with a great leg stump Yorker from Abby Kondroman, leaving the score 81 for three. Then two wickets fell with the score in 100, Priyanaz Chatterjee and Katie McGill, and then Zoe Rennie, which was chipped to Abby with a score on 112. But unsurprisingly, a busy innings from Sam Hago got the score to 126 for six. Within the second innings, the Ross had a great start, reaching 30 without loss over the first four. But the first wicket fell shortly afterwards, with Abby Aitken Drummond top edging behind square, caught by Nima Sheik. 62 for one after 11, hovering around the Duckworth Lewis par score. But then the Ross 11 started to accelerate with back-to-back fours from Becky in the 13th, who got the score to 83. The second wicket fell in the 15th with Becky Glenn on 21, hit Abby Hogg behind square. Lorna ran in to take the catch, but 100 up the next over. Megan McCall brought up her 50 with a drive for four, then carried her back for the win. Very tight in the end, but got over the line with McCall for four off the penultimate ball of the match. She finished on 62, not out, and an eight-wicket win for the Roths 11. In game two, the Suttons won the toss and chose to bat again. Lorna and Ellen took the score to 50 in the seventh over. Lorna made up for her earlier dismissal from the first game in style and brought her half-century in the 10th with a pull-behind square for four. 81 for none at the end of the over with an excellent run rate. 100 up in the 14th as the Ross 11 still looked for a breakthrough. Not helped by some ragged fielding at times, but that breakthrough finally came with a score on 113. Ellen on 37, stumped by Elsa Lister. But the Sutton 11 finished on 150 for one. 92 not out for Lorna, the highest individual score of the competition, which is fantastic to hear in such form at the moment. In the second innings, the Ross 11 straight out of the blocks looked as if they were going to get the CD's clinching win. 22 off the first two, then 42 of four. In the fifth, Megan on 30 top edged and caught by a backpedalling McGill on 47 for one. But the Rosses were still motoring along, Abby finding the rope to get the score to 62 after six. Next over, she was gone, bowled by Priya Nas for 26, and the Suttons gradually began to pull it back, slowing the score rate, which was helped by regular wickets. When Emma Walsingham fell to a tumbling catch by Priyanaz, 
the score was 123 for five. 28 needed, but just over three overs left. 18 was needed off the final two, but the Sutton 11 held their nerve to restrict the Ross 11 to 142 for nine, and an eight-run win in the end. So five all in the series, a fitting result. And after the game, Jake caught up with Katie McGill, Catherine Fraser, Megan McCall, and Scotland's women's head coach, Mark Coles, on a very blowy Titwood outfield to get their perspectives on the day and the wider competition. Well, Katie, after what's been a really tight series, probably appropriate that we couldn't separate you at the end. Yeah, I think fair enough. Um, yeah, each game's had its ups and downs in the series too. So, yeah, you can't split the teams, I think, and that's fair. And it's, yeah, what a way to start a series. And a cracking uh, display from the batters again today. It's again been a day for the batters, but a, a really good performance from your, your team, especially in that second game. Yeah, uh, I think after that tight first game where I think we probably felt like it got through our fingers a little bit and we had it and let it go. Um, to come back up and, and bat and put that dominant performance in that ultimately proved to be enough was phenomenal for them and I just think uh, credit to Clydesdale, you can see what the girls can do when there's amazing facilities provided as well and yeah for both Ellen and Lorna to open the innings in kind of both games like that and Karis to come in and carry on that that trend was sensational from our top three and uh, great to be sat on the sidelines with a bit of Hadrash. So Catherine, celebrations going on in the background behind us here. Five all in the end though. Fair result? Yeah, I think the teams have been really evenly balanced, so I think that's probably a fair result. Um, the standard of cricket's been really high over the past few weeks, so that's been great for the development of women's cricket in Scotland. And you've both shone with the bat throughout this, uh, this competition. Catherine a little lower down the order, Megan uh, leading from the front today. Uh, yeah, no, it was really good to get to get some runs, especially in the last two games of the series. A bit gutted I couldn't put enough on the board in the second game, but uh, yeah, I'm quite happy with how I've performed uh, in the last in the last week of the of the series. And you're both bowlers as well. I mean, what's it like having to, to bowl under the pressure, you know, where you have batters who are looking to attack, um, maybe a lot more than perhaps would have done in more, in more recent years, say. So kind of gives you a, a chance to develop a different side of your, your skills too. Yeah, definitely. And I think the batting's come on a lot over the course of the series. Um, so it's been fun to play against, you know, who, people who are usually our teammates. So it's been a good challenge and I've enjoyed it. And uh, Megan, just one last question. Of course, the team for Spain is being announced uh, soon, or the squad for Spain, I should say. So good prep for that beforehand? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, this whole, this whole series has been, like, it's been brilliant for us to just, like, to just play the way that we want to play when, when we're in Spain. Um, and I'm sure all the girls are happy with how they've gone in the series and everyone will be uh, looking forward to, to Spain. So Mark, on a very blowy outfield here at Titwood, um, your reflections on what's been a, a really great series, I think. Oh, it's fantastic and I think the way that the girls have played with that positivity and um, I think there was only one score, which was the very first game under 100 and the rest have all been over 120. It's been, just, it's been fantastic to see. We've, we've got a little bit of work to do in the fielding. Um, I think the fielding's not where it should be, but look, I'm really pleased with the way it's gone. I'm really pleased with the positivity that the, both teams played with and five apiece, you couldn't ask for much better. And as you say, it's the, the batting that's really stood out for me anyway watching, um, the positivity and the, the really good individual performances that we've seen. 
Yeah, look, and, and, and I think it's across the board too, you know, we saw a 92 not out from Lorna Jack today, but also Megan McCall is really, really becoming a very good cricketer, and, and that's the exciting part, that there are some really good scores and contributing scores and understanding what's required in the game at that present stage, and that's what's encouraging for me. And with Lemanga on the horizon, nice bit of prep. Yeah, there's still a lot of work to do, as I said, with the fielding. I think we're well behind there and we need to understand, you know, what's required in the field and the fielding positions that we're in and why we're there. But look, I, I think it's a base that we can work from and, and there's a few things that we can tidy up. But it is, it's exciting and the camp's coming up this Friday, so it'll be pleasing to get all the girls together. Mark, thanks very much. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Jake. Mark Cole's finishing off that clip there. And while all that was getting underway in Glasgow, the Eastern Premier League was at the halfway point of the second of its doubleheader weekends, Gary. Yes, a double weekend of action as we get towards the, the business end of the season. And it was a very busy two days, so I will keep this review to the, the main points. Um, it looks like now with three weeks to go, there'll be a three-way Edinburgh battle for the Eastern Premier Division title after Heretz, Carlton and Grange all won two games over the weekend. Uh, leaders Harriet saw Stoney with Dice on Saturday and Meagle on Sunday to lead them out on top as the tournament moves towards the end on September the 4th. However, there's likely to be a, a number of twists and turns before then because Carlton and Grange are in second and third and breathing right down their necks. Carlton dug deep to defeat Arbroath on Saturday and then had a more routine triumph over Stuart's Melville on Sunday. While Grange beat what's Williams on Saturday and then all but ended 2019 champions Forfisher's title hopes with a final win at Fort Hill on Sunday. Over the two days, there was a number of star performers for all three of those sides. On Saturday, Joe King on Grey led the way with three wickets for Heretz, and Durness Mackay Champion hit 63 runs. While on Sunday, young Dunes Hutchinson impressed with three for 14. For Carlton, Shuja Khan kept up his great season with the bat, hitting 121 runs on Saturday, and then backing up with 91 runs on Sunday. And for Grange, 117 by Harris Carnegie and 110 not out from Brian Flanagan against Watsonians set up their positive weekend and they have bounced back really well after a mid-season blip. It was also interesting to see former Scotland captain Preston Momsen making a first appearance for Grange this season on the Saturday. It'll be interesting to see if we see him playing in any of the final three games. Meanwhile, at the other end of the Eastern Premier Division table, Stuart Melville are now in the relegation spot and that came after Meagle managed a win over Irish Christophe on Saturday and then Stoney with Dice beat the same side on Sunday. So those three clubs plus Irish Christophe are still really in the mix to finish bottom and that's going to be just as exciting to see who, who ends up in that spot as it will be at the top. Thanks, Gary. A lot to cram in there. And Jake, in the West, two big results at either end of the table may well be significant too. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, it looks like the race to top the Western Premier Division is now down to three contenders too after Prestwick triumphed over Uddingston in the Battle of 3rd v 4th at Bothwell Castle Policies. The home side never really got going with the bat after Prestwick put them in, eventually being bowled out for 117 in the 49th over, Azim Akbar and Sachin Chowdhury taking three wickets apiece. And although the visitors then lost six themselves in the difficult conditions, Chowdhury and Singh saw them home in the 44th over for a four-wicket win in the end. They keep the pressure on Fergusley in second, who survived a tricky start of their own to beat Greenock by 191 runs at Glen Park. 
with drizzle in the air, home captain Greg McDougall have put the visitors in to bat on a soft pitch which showed uneven bounce and later sharp turn and he immediately got the rewards as Fergusley fell to 14 for 3. Sean Fisher-Keogh did the damage, getting Gregor Preston-Jones caught behind in the first over, then surprising Riyad Henry with a ball that took off in the fifth. And then came the best of the lot, a diving grab to his left from wicketkeeper Lucas Fisher-Keogh to remove Omar Hussain for seven, a catch of which the watching former England keeper Jack Russell would have been proud. But gradually, Tamor Ahmed and Adil Gaffar batted Fergusley back into the game, putting on 74 for the fourth wicket before Gaffar on 41 was bowled by an absolutely unplayable delivery from Ewan Stewart, which hardly bounced on its way through into the stumps. But young Azair Ahmad joined his brother in the middle and showed his excellent potential again, batting really well on what was still a tricky pitch to navigate. And although he was run out by a direct hit, the score, now 175 for 5, already looked out of sight. By now, Tamor had his 50 and was starting to put his foot down. Only 37 more balls were needed for him to reach his century, his second of the season, as the total passed 200. Neil Flack pushed one through a little quicker to bowl him for 101, the first of Flack's three wickets for the day, but with the tail wagging over the last few overs, Fergusley's total of 240 for nine represented both a great recovery for them and a monumental challenge for their opponents. And so it proved. Riyad Henry opted to open with the spin of Harun Tahir, who ended up bowling his ten overs unchanged. By the end of it, he bowled a wicket maiden, a double wicket maiden and a triple wicket maiden, the latter made up of a hat-trick which reduced Greenock to 18 for 9. Henry chipped in with one and Hasib Zakar two as the home side capitulated. The last wicket pair of Lucas Fischer-Keogh and Greg McDougall fought hard, more than doubling the score, but the final total of 49 all out represented a sorry end to a day which had begun with such high hopes for the hosts. So Fergusley, in turn, keep up the pressure on leaders Clydesdale. And afterwards, I spoke to skipper Riyad Henry. So Riyad, well played. A really good win today under some pretty tough conditions. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think when we got here this morning, we weren't sure whether we were going to get a full day in. Um, and it was very, very sticky. Um, but to be fair, you still had to bowl quite well. Uh, I think anything short was going to get put away anything over pitch so you still had to get hit good areas and hit good lines which they did the openers did um, and we were in trouble but again same as sort of the west game early on in the season we were in trouble but we can get ourselves out and we can still get big scores and uh, we've got that kind of ability in our team and tomorrow and Gaff showed that in their partnership and Tamo went on to score a big 100 for us, which was good. Yeah, I mean, a hugely impressive partnership between those two that, as you say, really got you got you out of danger and showed their experience there. Yeah, definitely. I think, like, for them, we, we've seen that now a couple of times. Uh, we know that they're capable of, of, of those sort of innings and uh, match-winning performances. And I think if, if they want to really sort of cement their place in, in teams higher up past club level, they're going to have to do that or learn how to do that week in, week out, or at least more consistently at the moment. But they they are capable. I think they're they're just still a bit young, but they just need to sort of just learn a bit quicker. They've got the skills, they just need to learn. And another young player who really came to the fore in the second innings was Haroon. You know, that six throw with a hat-trick in there as well? Yes, that's actually his second league hat-trick for us. Uh, he took one a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, he's he's bowling really well um, and the thing I like about Haroon and basically the other two as well is when they're unable to make training sort of through the week 
they were, were team training. They'll still go and find the time to go for an hour and bowl by themselves or get people to come down and throw them balls. So, you know, they're, they're very committed. They know what they need to do. Um, and I think that gives Saru now a lot of confidence going into now, you know, what's left of the second half of the season. So it'll be very, very interesting. Thanks very much indeed. No problem. Thanks, Jay. Greenock now face a make-or-break fortnight with home games against Pollock, then Dumfries. Two matches they must win to have any chance at all of making a great escape. And it's Dumfries that are now just ahead of them in the relegation zone after losing to Clydesdale by eight wickets, who in turn strengthen their position at the top of the table. Dumfries posted a good score of 200, but the leaders have made a happy habit out of digging themselves out of such situations, and this time it was Fazal Jawad who delivered, his unbeaten 101, supported by Richie Barrington's 52 not out, seeing them over the line with plenty left in the tank. And Pollock were able to take full advantage, following up their vital win over Dumfries last week with a 37-run victory on Duckworth Lewis over West of Scotland, a massive result for Imran Adri's side, which lifts them out of the bottom two. The final game of the week saw Stirling County beat Langside by 29 runs after a pretty extraordinary first innings from the home side. Brandon McMullen scored 79 and Harry Booker 67, 146 runs between them, but everyone else could only manage 25 more as Mohamed Afsal took 4 for 16 and Mohamed Adnan 3 for 64 to restrict Sterling to a final total of 186. It was too much for the visitors though, as McMullen and Ewan Smith both took 3 for 17 to bowl Langside out for 157, Sami Zier's half-century the main highlight for the 7th place team. So some big stories in the West this week, and with Clydesdale facing Prestwick and Greenock Pollock next week, there are sure to be plenty more to talk about come next week's episode. That's right, Jake. So with the leagues hotting up, looking ahead to next week, what is catching your eye? Yes, well, in, in the East, it's got to be um, probably at the bottom of the table this coming Saturday, when 10th place Stuart's Melville host 8th place Stony with Dice. That's really a, a massive game with only three weeks remaining. And at the top end, Heretics will want to stay out on top when they take on mid-table Watsonians. And third place Grange are taking on an informer growth, which will be a, a very interesting game for Gary Place. So, yeah, I expect more twists and turns to come in, the, in this weekend's action. Yeah, and for me, uh, the two games I've just mentioned, Greenock-Pollock is a massive game at the bottom. Greenock absolutely have to win. And if Pollock do, they pull themselves even further away from danger, you would have thought. And then that massive game at the top of the table to Clydesdale facing Prestwick, who are still to play Fergus Lee as well. So those three teams still very much in the mix for the title. And that big game on Sunday, of course. Very much looking forward to that. Best of luck to both Heriots and Watsonians. But that's it from us for another week. Thanks again, Gary. Thanks for having me, guys. And thanks to you again for listening. From the three of us, goodbye.